Chapter 20 Kenneth opened his eyes. Lying on his back, he stared up at the dull blue sky and fought off the grogginess of a poor night's sleep. The morning sun approached the horizon, but had yet to crest the eastern hills of Loch Lomond. A dense fog hovered above the loch, covering its waters like a lofted blanket. In some ways, this was but another day like all other days. The sun came up and the sky bore a tint of blue, yet for Kenneth the world had changed. Yesterday, he had awoken on a mountaintop holding Arabella, the girl whom he had wanted to hold all his life. But this morning was a different morning. This morning he awoke alone on the west side of Loch Lomond, wondering if it would be the last morning he'd ever wake. Indeed, everything had changed. Kenneth sat up, his hair and clothes moistened from the early morning dew. The wickering of the mare startled him. He turned toward the horse. It was standing beside the tree where he had tied it. He sat silent for a moment and listened, his eyes glancing to the adjacent tree line and then to his rear. He neither heard nor saw a soul. All was quiet except the rustling of the trees and the wind gently blowing through their branches. His eyes returned to the horse. He thought of the old man. The old man had given him the mare. Kenneth figured it was not much of gift, since the old man had shot the horse he'd ridden from Renton. Giving Kenneth the horse of a dead Viking was the least the old man could do, yet a small part of Kenneth was grateful that the old man had provided him food and fresh water, as well as the mare. Kenneth had parted from the old man the prior evening. He was in no frame of mind to stay the night. He'd decided it was best to move on. Today he would continue north following the path along the western shores of Loch Lomond. The Vikings thus far were heading north, though he figured they'd likely turn west, if he understood the scouts' reports noted by his father in Renton's meeting hall. The night of rest brought salvation to Aidan. Sleep had given him just enough strength to march. His burns were severe, potentially fatal should infection set in. The hot, raw sting of his open flesh carried him in and out of coherency, as though his soul wished to cease with each surge of pain. The rest had helped, but he'd need much more rest if he was to heal, and the present march was sapping strength from Aidan like a leech from a corpse. Nessa moved forward behind Aidan, watching her brother lumber with every step. She prayed he would stop resisting the Vikings, yet she knew he would fight if not for his ropes. He would eagerly fight five, even ten, of them, if only he had a moment of freedom and the strength to do so. With the cart broken and abandoned, Nessa and Aidan and the others were now being led by a horse. Tied in a single line behind the animal, they were subject to the horse's pace. A second line of captives walked beside them, parallel behind a second horse. In some ways, Nessa was grateful that she was tied to Aidan and last in line. Nessa trudged forward. The muddy path grew thicker with each step. The heavy rains and constant mashing of the horse's hooves turned the ground into a depressing sludge. The mud crept over her feet as each step sunk into the brown mire. She had little concern of the filth, rather it was the dismal grind of the endless march and the uncertainty of things to come that plagued her most. Nessa heard Aidan grunt, as he had done several times since they had begun that morning. She glanced up to see Aidan stumble. He fought to catch his balance. Mud hung to his hair in matted clods, mocking him and belittling his plight. He continued forward, his head sometimes facing up to the sky and other times bowing low to his chest as though he didn't care if his next step was his last. She pitied him as she watched. She recalled his courage during the attack on their home. 
how he had fought with the strength of an army to protect his family. Without his father or brothers, Aidan had faced the Vikings single-handedly and fought like a warrior, even stopping the savages from killing their mother. Nessa winced as she remembered the horrid shrills of Aidan and his Viking foe when they fell into the fire. The blaze had sought to steal the lives of both men, and Aidan had paid a high price to keep his. Tears welled in Nessa's eyes. She envisioned her mother lying on the ground, groaning helplessly. Then she thought of her father, which only made her heart ache more. If only father and the men had been there, it would have been different. They could have helped Aidan. They could have stopped them, Nessa thought to herself. And now she was here, walking the road to hell, watching her younger brother die with every step. Where are they taking us? Nessa asked herself. Oh, dear God, let it not be to a foreign land where we'll never be found again. Her father could spend every day for the rest of his life searching and still never come within a thousand miles of finding her. Father, please come, she whispered. Please, please find us. Pick up your feet and move. Nessa shuddered under the growl. She lifted her head as the Viking with the scarred eye barked from his horse, yelling at Aidan and the young man with the gashed side. The young man had tripped and stumbled in the mud in front of Aidan. His loss of blood was slowly killing him. Aidan steadied the young Scot and nudged him forward. Aidan gazed up at the Viking as if daring him to shout again. The Viking glared back and spat at him and then summarily coaxed his horse forward and harassed another captive. Nessa shook her head, relieved, the trouble had passed. She peered toward the line marching parallel and found Gavin. He was watching the man with the scarred eye. Then he looked over at Aidan and suddenly glanced back at Nessa, catching her gaze. He grimaced and looked away. She was unsure if he was angry or signaling some sign of reassurance. She had never understood him. He always been somewhat of a recluse in Renton. Cirque sat on his horse with the sun high overhead. His body quivered with angst. The massive castle of Pictland towered in the distance. To Cirque, the monolith of rock and stone was no less ominous in the light of day. He'd not expected his return to Perth would have come so soon. He'd hoped his prior visit to Angus would have brought better things for the Scots, yet now his own village lay decimated in rubble far to the west in Dalriada. Cirque's demons attended him, haunting him on his journey to Perth. Why did the Vikings suddenly attack Renton? Did they know the Scots weren't prepared? He'd been certain Angus had wanted to make peace with the Dalriadans and unite against the Vikings, he was much less certain now. Cirque trembled as his fears took hold, but he needed Angus. He had to take the chance. He had no place to turn among his own people, no place but Taran. Yet with Renton now destroyed, Taran would never admit his complicity with Cirque. Cirque would have to speak to Angus again, it was the only way, the Dalriadans needed the Picts now more than ever. Cirque took a deep breath and rode his horse forward. Picked. Picked. Cirque shouted to the guard high on the castle wall, slowing his horse and peering upward. I must see your lord. Who's asking? The guard returned a cold retort. I am Cirque, of Dalriada. I bring word of Renton. My people have been attacked by Vikings. I fear that Lord Angus and the Picts may be next. Stay as you are, the guard shouted and disappeared. Cirque's horse stirred outside the castle doors. Doubt crept in as the moments passed. Cirque hoped the guard would return soon. 
He wondered if the news of the attack would catch Angus by surprise, or if he'd find the news surprising at all. An uneasy feeling surged inside Cirque. What kind of fool have I been? How well do I even know this man? Should I even trust him? In truth, he couldn't be sure, it was all happening so quickly. He knew he needed to speak to Angus. He desperately needed to speak to him. The clanking of the large latch sounded, followed by the creaking of the heavy castle doors. His chance to speak had come, and now there was no turning back. Two men emerged from the opening between the large castle doors. Their arms bore the familiar painting of picked warriors. They approached on either side of Cirque and ordered him to dismount. From there, they led him into the entry corridor of the castle and through a dimly lit maze of hallways. The circuitous path ended at the castle's grand hall, a room boasting walls twenty feet high formed with large rectangular stones stacked one upon another. Cirque surveyed the vacuous hall. It was not the same room he had visited before. The hall's immensity reduced him, making him feel as a mouse in a lion's den. He swallowed and stared at the walls, second-guessing his decision to come. He slowly peered over his shoulder and considered retreat. Then he felt a forceful nudge from the rear escort and, reluctantly, he stepped into the grand hall. A figure sat on a throne at the far end of the hall. It was Angus. Two statue-like guards stood as armed bookends on either side of the picked lord, each bearing a polearm glaive with a curved, twelve-inch blade. The hall was lined with large chairs arrayed along the walls, each slightly turned and facing the picked lord's throne. The throne itself was ornate and impressive, dressed with fine red fabric and adorned with gold rivets and polished trimmings. Angus filled the elevated throne, sitting several steps above the floor of the hall. He perched motionless between the two guards and gazed at Cirque as the young Scot was escorted forward. The clicking of the guards' steps on the cold stone floor echoed through the hall as the three approached. Ah, Cirque of Renton, the young Dalraidan who wishes for peace in Britannia, and who continues to search for that noble man who may bring such a gift to his people, Angus spoke loudly, his voice bearing a sinister ring. He laughed a dry laugh when he finished. Cirque's heart weakened. My lord, you have heard of the Viking attack on Renton. Cirque framed his words as an uncertain question, purposely avoiding presumption. Assuming Angus hadn't heard of the news may be as regretful as assuming he had. Yes, Scott, I'm aware of the attack that occurred on Renton. You see, I have eyes and ears as well. My lord, I beg of you, you sought to unite with the Dalriardans to join us in our fight against the Vikings. So you say, Angus replied. Do not the Vikings attack my lord when they attack the Dalriardans? No, Angus said. He peered down at the Scot. An attack on Renton, is not an attack on Perth. But my lord, our leaders will listen to you. Gura and Taran are respected among the Dalriardans. They will unite with you, if only you would speak to them and offer your pledge as you did to Alpin. Enough? Angus exclaimed. My pledge of unity came on a day that is now long gone. Alpin and the Dalriardans had their chance to pledge fealty to the picked crown and they spurned their opportunity. They knew this day would come, and in their arrogance they were certain they could stand. Their fate is their own. Cirque shuddered at the picked lord's apathy. Fear gripped him. My lord, you cannot leave our people like this. They are now the slaves of these Viking savages. Would not our people help the Picts should they? Boy. Angus rose from his throne, 
Do not dare accuse me of some malicious treachery, that I am one to sit idle, and do nothing. Indeed, your beloved Alpin has to be prodded and shamed into helping his own people, and you have the audacity to claim that he would rush to help the Picts. You are either blind or a fool, or both? Angus paused. Without turning his eyes from Cirque, he lifted his hand and circled his finger in the air. The escorts and guards departed, leaving the two alone in the large hall. Angus slowly descended the steps and approached the young, petrified Scott. Cirque's body trembled. There was no place to flee, no place to hide. Had he the courage to speak, he couldn't, even if he wished to. For though Angus often spoke with a deceitful tongue, his charge had not been untruthful. Angus stepped to Cirque, looming over him. His lips pursed tightly together and air hissed from his nose as he breathed. Young Scott, was it not you who came to me under the cloak of darkness, searching for a means to dethrone your mighty Alpin? In your sedition, did you not hope to dispel Alpin, the man you despise, was it not the whisper of your own voice persuading you to bring him down, even if it meant treason against your own people? The indictment scorched Cirque's soul. He stepped back from the picked lord and turned away. Cirque tried to reason with himself, that he was only wanting to help his people, help them when Alpin wouldn't. How did it come to this? Had Angus conspired with the Vikings, aiding their attack on Renton? Or worse, had he orchestrated it, even planned it? Cirque wanted to be strong. Summoning what little courage remained, he gazed at Angus and spoke, My lord, did you, did you tell the Vikings of? You sniveling child! Spittle erupted from Angus' mouth and sprayed across Cirque's face. Your pathetic mind tells you lies that you wish to hear, and you are foolish enough to believe them. You came to me in the dark of night because you wanted Alpin dead. Do not pretend that you had some grand noble cause to save the world. Your heart yearned for one thing, Alpin's death. You nearly got what you wanted, and now your soul cannot bear to live with your heart. Angus leaned toward the young Scot, his hot breath pouring over Cirque's skin. With a cutting whisper, he spoke, You, you are the enemy, not me. The Pict's words could have pierced armor. Cirque had played the fool. Every word exchanged with Angus in their plan to unite was a lie, even his own. His stomach tightened in dread and his legs fell limp. Cirque dropped to his knees, slumping on the steps at the foot of the Pict throne. He cupped his face in his hands. He had offered his soul to the devil and the exchange had been consummated. With his veil of lies now uncovered, he realized the pain of truth known only to traitors. Angus stood over the broken boy, stirring in contemplation as he looked down at him. You may feel as if Renton is lost, that you are lost, but there is always a path to redemption. Cirque lifted his bloodshot eyes and gazed at the picked lord. What is left? What is done cannot be undone, Cirque muttered. I'm not suggesting that all is done, I'm suggesting that you finish what you started, Angus said. You see, I have no love for these Viking animals. I'd be quite pleased to never see them again in this land. Your Taran sounds willing to, how would you say it, to work with me? Staring up at Angus, Cirque sat like a corpse in the shadow of the picked lord, fear struck of what would be said next. Angus folded his arms across his chest and rubbed the hairs of his chin. I understand that Alpin was not present when the attack came on Renton, that was most unfortunate, it is true, not all plans are perfect. But let's say that I am working to rectify that mishap. Angus began to pace. He continued, 
I suggest that you visit with this Taran and remind him of whom he should rely on for aid, for protection, for security. Help him to see the merit of pledging fealty to my crown and sharing this wisdom with the others of Dalriada. A tiny door cracked open in Sirk's heart. He allowed himself to listen again to the small voice born the day he saw his father lying dead in the cart that had carried him back from A. Here was a possibility to fix his folly, to finally be done with the one man who had plagued him since that awful evening long ago. Sirk lifted his sullen frame and gave a venal ear to the picked lord. Angus halted his pacing and peered at Sirk. If Taran is the man you say he is, then he would be wise to take heed of my words. And Scott, you should know, should your lips breathe word of this to those in Dalriada, you'll be forever known as a traitor. And should you open your mouth to those in Pictland, you'll hang before the sun is able to fall. Either way, your tongue is mine. Share it with others, and you'll lose it, along with your life. Guards! Angus called out. Four armed men instantly appeared. Please escort our friend to the castle door. Gazing at Sirk, Angus smiled and said, Goodbye, Scott. Then he turned and walked away, his shadow following him as he disappeared from the hall. Sirk mounted his horse and rode from the castle. He had saved himself, yet his conscience refused to quiet, ever whispering its recriminations. He couldn't escape the one person that he would hurt the most, Aidan. Thoughts of his lone companion crept into his mind. His stomach began to turn. He fought to suppress his anxiety. Nausea overtook him, and he dismounted his horse and vomited. Shame and fear taunted his spirit. His old demons had vanished for but a moment, and now they had returned, more vile than before. Sirk began to question himself. Aidan had always been his friend, his only friend. How could he now take Aidan's father, as his father had been taken? Sirk mounted his defense, rationalizing, even justifying, his deeds. For all he knew Aidan was dead. Sirk had remained hidden when the Vikings attacked Renton. He had watched as Aidan was carried away in the cart, badly burned and hardly able to move. And having Taran and Angus together may be the only means of saving Aidan, if indeed he was even alive. Sirk returned to his horse and pulled himself up. He jabbed his heels into the animal's belly and spurred the beast forward. He wanted to move on, to press on, to escape himself were it possible. He fought to quench his guilt and rid his mind of the thoughts that sickened him. He rode, though to where, he didn't know.